The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Uh, if you will open your scriptures to the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. First chapter of Luke's Gospel. This uh, chapter is a big chapter and it's set in a number of ways. Uh, we're going to be looking at it uh, during Advent. I'm going to read just the first section for us this morning. Luke chapter number 1. Hear the word of the Lord, verses 1 through 25. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, 
which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. The word of the Lord is for our good. And now, Father, I pray that um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would indeed be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I have a news flash for the church. Faithfulness to God does not always bring the blessing of God in the way that we think it ought to come. Faithfulness to God does not always bring the blessing of God in the way we think it ought to come. I grew up singing the chorus, the blessings will come down as the prayers go up. We did the hand motions and everything. It was great. It's not bad theology as long as we don't put God in our debt. And what we will learn about faithfulness over the next few weeks is that it is to be a response to the promises of God. Faithful living flows out of the power of God which is present within God's own faithfulness to himself and to his people. The sermon on this first Sunday of Advent is going to have an uncomfortably close association with death. The blessings will be hard to detect, but God is going to step into the deadness and bring the blessing of life. In this way, then, Advent invites us to escape the bland sentimentality and cheerful inoffensiveness of the holiday season and get to the real heart of the issue. The narrative Luke presents packs quite a punch as it tells the story of two faithful Jewish families who received unexpected news from an unexpected visitor. First family we'll talk about today is Zechariah and Elizabeth. We'll talk about Mary next week. But for the family of Elizabeth and Zechariah, the news was an answer to their long unanswered prayer for a child. What we'll see for the family of Mary who was espoused to Joseph, is that the news was also an answer to their prayers, but not in the way that they imagined. The prayers of these three people, Luke shines his spotlight on, are going to be answered as the blessing of God came down through the birth of two boys. One child would be the lesser light. The other the light. Both would be empowered by God's Spirit and both would die brutal deaths by state 
state-sponsored executions. But the death of the one son, the one who proclaimed himself to be the light of the world, his death would be for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. We're often reminded of the proverb, hope deferred makes the heart sick. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, it was the deferment of having a child. Unlike our culture, which increases in, in its disregard for children and looks down upon families who even want to have children, it was just the opposite for this childless couple. The norm uh, for them would have been to get married early and to have many children. But as month after month turned into year after year, the hope of having even one child faded. And when Zechariah now, we're told by Luke, is in his advanced age, as is his wife, as he heads off to do his priestly work, Elizabeth conceiving a child would have been the last thing on his mind. There's an important point to Luke's narrative that we must not miss. It appears on the surface that Luke is telling one story of barrenness, when in fact he is weaving together three stories of barrenness. You have the barrenness of Zechariah and Elizabeth, which is intended then to open the door of our understanding into the barrenness of Israel as a nation. The fruitful bough that God had planted was no longer bearing fruit. But why hadn't Israel's God come as he had in the past to restore them? And just as hope had faded for this older now couple, faithful through their years, it would seem that um, hope had faded for the nation of Israel as well. But Luke's story actually reaches beyond the barrenness of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the barrenness of Israel, and it makes us look at our own barrenness. It makes us look at the barrenness of the world, the barrenness of humanity. For what is true today was true in Luke's time, and that is the whole world is held captive to death because of sin. And if you would reread the first two chapters of Genesis and the flourishing and the bounty of God's creation, and when you get to the end of chapter number three, it becomes a wasteland because death has entered the scene. And this barrenness sweeps through humanity and it is all around us today. This, of course, raises a question. How can the barrenness of the entire world be answered by the ancient God of Israel? How can the barrenness of the entire world in which we currently live in right now be answered by the God of Israel? When the unexpected happens and God dispatches an angel to tell Zechariah and Elizabeth that she would bear a son... The angel also reveals then the destiny of the son who would be named John. But it is in John's message that we find hope then for the larger story that is being told. 
Perhaps you noted that in verse 14, the news begins with joy. Zechariah, you will have joy and gladness in not just you and Elizabeth, but many are going to rejoice at his birth. It begins with joy, but then it continues with the promise of a child being great before the Lord. So there's joy, and then there's greatness. John is going to be before the Lord, verse number 15, in a way that he will be recognized as being great, that the hand of the Lord will be on him. But then note that due to the nature of his ministry, he would have to abstain from wine and strong drink because he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Also in verse number 15. Now that is no throwaway because you might remember, and Luke writes this in the book of Acts, that on the day of Pentecost, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, but what are they accused of being? Drunk. And so Zechariah would have to tell John and train John, no wine, no strong drink. And when John is out preaching repentance and baptism of repentance for sin and preparation, there should be no hints of impropriety that somebody would say, oh, you know, I saw you down at the pub the other night. I think you still have a hangover. That's why you're talking this way. No. Total abstinence by John. His mission demanded it. John's life of abstaining would be important because of the focus of his mission. He would be God's agent to turn Israel to the Lord their God, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verses number 16 and 17. Now, I, I'm going to preach on this one day. It just isn't going to be today. But it is no small thing for the angel to tell Zechariah that God would reunite families as a precursor to the reuniting of the nation. Now, again, I, it's not today's sermon. But it's going to be a sermon one day. That is a very important, important statement. Especially for the church. But, but it is here in this, this news about John that we begin to find the basis for hope. For it is God who now is acting powerfully on behalf of his people. And you have to see that it is done through their inability. Now, American Christians don't like to hear this. We're after power. We want more power. We think that's where transformation and change is going to be happening. God says, no. I work through weakness. I work through inability. I work through barrenness in order to bring bounty. Note how the divine agency will work. It will be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. God himself will come upon John with power. The story of God's salvation then always points us to look to God for our salvation. And any hint of hope would rightly be snuffed out if the angel had said to Zechariah, hey, Zechariah, train your boy well. It's all up to him. Keep him sober. Send him in the wilderness. No hope. If that's the message of the angel. The point of praise we need to hear this Advent season is that salvation comes 
from the Lord. Salvation comes from outside of us, but it invites us into its power, the very power of God's Spirit working on our behalf. The faithfulness of Zechariah and Elizabeth was massively important, but only in that it made room for the action that God was going to take through them as he would give them a child who would become the voice that cries in the wilderness, make a way for the Lord. The divine agency works through the power of the Holy Spirit, but then we're also told that he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. In verse number 17, who is he and who is him? He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. What the angel is telling Zechariah is that John himself will be under the constant supervisory power of the spirit, so much so that it would appear that the prophet Elijah had come back to Israel. Now, some of you might remember the very dramatic scene. How did the prophet Elijah leave Israel? Right? He rode off on a chariot of fire. Very dramatic, right? Boy, wouldn't we all like to go off stage that way? Like, here we go. Got my chariot of fire. And John's ministry is such that it's going to be, oh, wait, Malachi, what Stephen read for us earlier. Malachi's being fulfilled. This is, this is Elijah. But it's in the power of Elijah, not that John is Elijah. It is looking a whole lot like Elijah, but it's the ministry that God is doing through John. God promised to Malachi to send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And John then is given the mantle that through the power of the Spirit, he goes out to preach a gospel of repentance so that people are prepared for the coming of the Lord. Now, Zechariah's response in verse 18 is classic. <laughs> it is so us. It, it is just so us. He doubts. He doubts. Now, now, we might think, you know, that Zechariah should have known better. I mean, he was a priest. He knew the Old Testament prophecies. How could he doubt the angel of the Lord? Well, I don't know. He did. He doubted. Just as you and I doubt, right? Just as you and I doubt. But regardless of the response of Zechariah, or our response for that matter, God's work remains on schedule. God's work will be completed. Let that be a much needed reminder to many in the church who doubt the literal return of Jesus Christ in his resurrected, glorified, physical body. Let Zechariah's doubt inform our doubt and let us doubt our doubts about the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, God will be faithful to his promise concerning the return of Jesus. I've heard this as my earliest memories I've heard that Jesus is returning. I've preached Jesus is returning. Let us not doubt it. 
just because we look around and go, I guess he's not coming back after all. Let us not doubt. God will be faithful. I've said this for many years, and I know it is very hard to orient our lives accordingly. It's hard to change habits. It's hard to change thinking. But Advent is not preparation for Christmas. Advent is not preparation for Christmas. You don't have Advent. Can't wait till it's over because I gotta get to Christmas. Advent is a season of preparation that is to remind us of the future coming of Jesus Christ. And while it is, of course, important to be ready for Christmas, it is of much greater importance for the church to be ready for the return of Jesus. And this is the tension, then, we should learn to expect when it comes to Advent and the promise of hope. For we know the human predicament all well. It's Zechariah's predicament. We doubt, we fall asleep, we get distracted. And bland sentimentality is not going to wake us up to the reality of the return of Jesus Christ. We must be awakened by the Holy Spirit of God to the reality that when Jesus returns, judgment will follow. He will indeed judge the living and the dead. Durkeytown Baptist Church, are we awake to the return of the Lord? Or have doubts, distractions, and I'll use that D word out of the King James, dissipation, weighed us down. Weighed us down. No longer are we confidently looking up anxiously, eagerly, waiting and working, longing for the coming King. So let me give you another news flash. Advent has traditionally presented four themes. And this goes back all the way to the 7th century. The four themes are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. These themes have been replaced by hope and peace and joy and love in the modern era in the church. It doesn't have room to talk about death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and certainly not between Thanksgiving and Christmas. But these themes speak powerfully into our collective need for a thoroughly Christian hope. You see, if the greater light, Jesus Christ, doesn't come and all we are left with is the lesser light of John, then death, judgment, and hell continue to rule humanity and the hope of heaven is only a deferred hope. But with the coming of Jesus, the offer of hope is a real offer. We preach death, we preach judgment, we preach heaven, we preach hell because Jesus has entered into them on behalf of sinners. He went into God's judgment for our sins. 
And in that judgment, he died an actual death for sinners. He went into hell with the keys of death, claiming victory and triumph over death so that we have the hope of resurrection. He entered into the glories of heaven, and from his exalted throne of glory, he is indeed coming to judge the living and the dead. The hope of barrenness turning to bounty isn't rooted in our faithfulness. It isn't even rooted in our prayers. It is rooted in what God has done and is doing through the Lord Jesus Christ, the King who is coming again. So when rightly observed, Advent should have a sanctifying edge to it. It should wake us up and say, if the Lord is returning, am I ready? To use the the examples that Jesus used, is my lamp lit? Is it full of oil? Am I busy in the field? Am I working? Am I ready? Am I prepared? Are we prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that will have a sanctifying edge? But if we allow it to become what Christmas and Easter have become for so many, Santa and the Easter Bunny, then we're going to lose the deeper meaning and reason Advent even exists for the church. We will forget that our friends and neighbors and family members are still barren. That this hamlet is lost in the darkness of death and sin. That the village of Fort Edward is lost in the death and the darkness of sin. That wherever our missionary arm reaches into partnerships and support and prayer, death and darkness exist within the light of the gospel. Advent has to have a sanctifying edge if it's going to keep us awake to the reality. Our friends, our neighbors, our family members, spiritually barren, not yet having come to the bounty of God's salvation, which is to say that they are totally and completely unprepared for the return of Jesus. But if we're not prepared, How will they ever get prepared? To quote the missionary Leslie Newbigin, who's now with the Lord, it is a terrible misunderstanding of the gospel to think that it offers us salvation while relieving us of responsibility for the life of the world, for the sin and sorrow and pain with which our human life and that of our fellow men and women are so deeply interwoven. It is a terrible misunderstanding of the gospel. Advent reminds us that we are not relieved of our responsibility because our Lord is coming again. It has been said that Advent begins in the dark. It meets us in the darkness of a barren womb, a barren nation, and a barren world. It invites us then to look into the abyss of our own doubt and failure. And as we do, we then are 
led to ask this question, is there hope? Is there hope? And then it echoes back and it says, yes! Hey, hallelujah, there's hope. His name is Jesus. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Who else would you rather be ready for than the Lord of glory who is returning? Are you ready? Are we ready? Well, I warmly encourage you to come back each week and hear the story of how barrenness turns to bounty. Jesus begins next week to take center stage. And that means we have the truest point of praise that leads to hope. For it is Jesus who dispels the darkness of doubt. He also dispels the darkness of a wayward heart that's gone far from God. And may God pour out his grace so that we see with greater clarity how the story of Israel and the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is our story as well. For God in grace has taken the initiative to bring an end to our spiritual barrenness through his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. Father, we give you thanks for your word. And thank you, O God, that your spirit is among us working through it. And now, Father, I pray, I pray, that a deeper conviction for sin would be upon us and that we would respond with penitent hearts before you and in our own frustration and in our own inability, like that of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we would continue to cry out to you, oh God, help us. And I pray, Lord, as we come, having confessed our sins, meeting making ourselves ready by your grace to this table, that we might be strengthened by it then to live lives of faith that are ready and prepared for your soon return. We'll be quiet before the Lord as you further prepare your heart and we join in together at his table. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org.